0: Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. It's so good to watch God working in someone's life, isn't it? Uh, Pray with me. Because, Lord, that's our desire for, for us this morning. You know we've come from a lot of different places. Gathering as your people and our desire is that your spirit would... Speak to us. We recognize to an extent our limitations and our, to an extent our sin and fault. We know you see it all, but, but, but love us. We thank you that your grace is bigger than any of it, and Jesus' blood covers it completely. So we would say thank you. Lord, this morning we, we would ask again that you'd have your way with us, and that we would leave this place knowing that we met with you. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. You know, I was in uh, Cincinnati many, many years ago when I got sick, they call it. They're still not sure exactly what it was. But I went from a life of, it was pretty active. I played in racquetball tournaments. I don't think I've ever won one, but now I have an excuse to not win. But back then I was, I was involved. I, I liked to ski. I was very, very, very active. But I went from that lifestyle to wheelchair almost overnight, well, I had a friend who is a very conservative, staunch Presbyterian man. Good guy, neat guy. We worked together, and he uh, was concerned for me. He said, "Mark, I've got a friend who has a friend who has a prayer ministry, and this prayer ministry guy is coming to town. Can I bring you over to him and l- just let him pray for you?" And I absolutely, you can do this. I'm all for prayer. This is a, this is great. And so he and his wife picked up trees and myself one day and took us north of Cincinnati, a very nice church, large church, and the church was having noon hour meetings at middle of the week, but the place was packed, and they brought in the special speakers, man from Appalachia, he had the prayer ministry. And uh, when we got there, Therese helped me in. I kind of was hanging on her. We got into the church before the meeting had ended. And so they ushered us to the pastor's office. Now, pastor's office, big, beautiful office. And so I lay down on his black leather couch, and we just kind of waited for a little bit. And in time, this man and his entourage of probably five, five folk with him, they, they came on in. And he came over to the sofa where I was lying, and he said, said uh, we, after niceties, we exchanged niceties for a little bit. and He said, okay, y'all, he's talking to his entourage, gather around this boy and begin praying in your prayer languages. Uh, I wasn't exactly sure what prayer languages were. I had an idea. But anyway, so they gathered around me. They all began praying in tongues, uh, out loud, uh, individually, but out loud, probably on an intensity scale, 1.5. It wasn't, wasn't bad at all. And I'm laying there, okay, I can, I can handle this. This is all right. And the leader then, he he came and he he looked down at me and he took his hand and he put it on my stomach and he closed his eyes and he started praying. And I watched as his face kind of contorted and his his furrow kicked through his forehead. and, And all of a sudden, he screams out with a loud voice, you know, be gone! And he's shaking my stomach. And suddenly the intensity level, those guys around me went from 1.5 to like 12 on a scale of up to 10. And they were animated and they all were screaming in, in tongues. I had no idea what was going on. But this man is working his way up my body with his hands shaking it and screaming and screaming and-, and commanding my healing and demons to be gone. About this time, I'm- I'm having- I have a conversation with the Lord. And I say, you know, God, um, this is not my heritage, and I, this is not my theology here, but, but you know what? I don't have a handle on stuff, I understand, and maybe I got some things wrong, and if you want to use this to heal me, I am good. I am good, let's do this. Well, so this guy's working up, and he's getting more and more excited, and the guys around him are getting more and more excited, and they're sweating, and they're yelling, and he gets to my, my head. Now, I gotta tell you, my my condition, uh, I had felt continuously like I was on the tilt-a-whirl. You know, I mean, the world was just continuously spinning; it never stopped. Uh, the pain I had was was consistent and it was intense. My head was was throbbing. So when this gentleman put his hand on my face and started shaking my head violently, screaming all these, and everyone's screaming. He got done, finally got done. I mean, if I wasn't hurting before I got in there, I was in all kinds of pain at this point. But he got done. He said, you've been healed. You've been healed. Get up, boy, and dance. I need you to dance, dance. Well, out, luckily, my dad's from the South, so I knew Appalachian a little bit. I knew what dance meant. So I'm trying to get up. But my world is really spinning and my head is banging. So I'm getting up and I'm stand, standing around I'm trying, and they're screaming, he's dancing, praise the Lord, he's been healed, he's been healed. And so they take myself and my wife and my two Presbyterian friends and they usher us to the door, screaming out, he's been healed. You just been, keep claiming your healing son and pushed us out and close the door. <laughs> and my wife and my Presbyterian friend helped me get back in the car and as we were leaving, it was, it was perfectly silent in that car. I can tell you. And suddenly the, the pastor's wife, kinda in the back seat, she kinda leaned forward and she said, Mark, isn't it nice that you've been healed? Well, I wasn't healed. Uh, and I had some uh, good friends, good friends, godly people in the charismatic circle who were quick to tell me, though, uh, over the next few days that the reason why I wasn't healed is because I did not have enough faith. That if I had... Problem is not in Jesus, obviously. If you weren't healed, Mark, you don't have enough faith. Now I started thinking, oh, I, I mean, I want to have enough faith. It's not like I was trying to not have... I, I thought I, I, I was... But oh, have, you, have you ever thought this? That, you know, if... if if you were to take an inventory of your faith today, scale from one to 10, don't say it out loud. I mean, would you say, you know, if I just, I want to be a man of stronger faith. If, if I had stronger faith, then maybe I could see some miracles. Maybe I could see myself healed or maybe someone I love healed. And if I had a stronger faith, maybe my marriage would be restored and maybe my wayward child would come back and maybe my misfortune would turn around. If I had a stronger faith, I want one, but I just, I just, I struggle. You know, a big question that kept haunting me at this point was I'm thinking through, okay, Harris, if you don't have enough faith to bring about a change in the physical, the temporal, what's to make you think? You've got enough faith to bring about change in the spiritual, in the eternal. It would seem to me that healing a physical body is probably a little bit easier for the Lord, if there can be such a thing, than bringing a dead soul to life. And if I don't have the the faith to do this one, what's to make me think that I've got faith to do over over here? So our, our question is, how much faith do you need? How much is enough? That's a a very important question as we go through life. And we're going to try to focus on that a little bit this morning. We're going to be looking at four case studies really quick, kind of rifling our way through them. And, And this is what I think we'll see in Scripture. That in Scripture, the issue is not the bigness of my faith. The issue is the bigness of the one my faith is in. And so if you have your Bibles or you have your Bible app on your phone, if you could go to Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, I know, we'll have verses on the screen and all, but you, you will want to see this in your, own, in your own text, Matthew chapter 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 5, and our first case study is the case study of strong faith, okay, great faith. Verse 5. Chapter eight, it says, when he, it's Jesus, entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home and suffering, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, centurions were the backbone of the Roman military. Other, not not like their higher-ranking officers, the centurions served in the front lines alongside of the enlisted men. They, they were critical, and they very seldom, if ever, treated a conquered people with any kind of respect, especially when there was a substantial amount of animosity between them like there was between the Jews and the Romans. But right here, we see a centurion, high-ranking uh, man, treating a peasant Jewish man with incredible respect. Now, the centurion's home what was probably not a castle, but by standards of the general populace, it was probably pretty nice. But this centurion recognizes that he's not worthy. His home is not worthy to have Jesus come to it. And so he says, just, just all you do is say the word. Jesus, you don't have to come. All you do is say the word. And then he gives the reason why he's thinking that. In verse 9, he says, For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this. And he does it. The centurion knows that he is both under authority and in authority. And he knows that the reason why he's in authority, all of the authority he has, comes from the fact that he is under authority. You know what I'm saying? That the ultimate authority is Caesar, obviously. But Caesar has granted him as a centurion a voice for for, for Rome. And so when he speaks, it's not him speaking. It's the Roman Empire speaking. And therefore, for one one of his soldiers to disobey him, they're not disobeying him, they're disobeying Rome. And so when he speaks, he's the voice of Rome. People better jump. They better move. But he's looking at Jesus. He says, Jesus, when I speak, Rome speaks. But when you speak, God speaks. I mean, I've got the full power of Rome, but I can't can't command my my servant to be healed. But you, all of the world, everything in it, every inch of this world is under your authority? Would you you say the word? You see, this is interesting because he's not asking for a sign. He's not asking for a a, a feeling. He's not asking for, for a show. He is Simply bringing his need to the Lord. And look at what Jesus' response is to this guy. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. You know, there's only twice in scripture Jesus marvels. Once over great faith, like we see here. Second time is over weak faith. So Jesus marveled and he said to those who follow him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And so you ask, why was this centurion's faith so great? Well, we'll stop and think about this for a minute. With no one in Israel, the Jewish people had the scriptures, right? All of the prophecies that pointed to the Messiah. All of these things that when you see these things, y'all, you need to be recognizing the Messiah is coming. The Jewish people had the prophets that came to them saying, he's coming. He's coming. The Jewish people, these guys, had John the Baptist come to him saying, he's here, the Messiah's here, and still they missed it for the most part. Meanwhile, the centurion, who's on the outside looking in, doesn't have any of those things. He's good with math, though, and he adds two and two together, and he recognizes this, this, this person, this is God here. I mean, the centurion is not perplexed how Jesus did it. The, the Jews kept scratching their heads. How did he pull this off? The centurion knew how he pulled it off. This wasn't magic. This wasn't an illusion. This wasn't a con man trying to, 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 to trick the masses. This was God. And so look look at, at the results of this man's faith. Verse 13. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that moment. Great faith equals great results. And you might say, well, hang on, that's a pretty poor case study, Mark, because all that tells me is my faith is pretty anemic, because if my faith was great, I would see some great results, and I'm not seeing them. I'm still going to hold to this, and you'll see in a second, hopefully, that it's not about the greatness of my faith, but the greatness of the one my faith is in. Case study two, down verse 23. Jesus and his disciples had had a healing teaching tour and now they were getting in their boat and they were going the other side of the Sea of Galilee, right? And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves But he, Jesus, was asleep. Now, these, Mark, parallel passage, lets us know that on this lake, right when these guys left, there were several other boats out on the lake, which simply means this. Nobody saw this storm coming. I mean, it was a clear day. Weather was fantastic. Nobody saw this storm coming. Also keeping in mind that these, for the most part, Jesus' followers, most of them, are experienced fishermen who grew up on this lake. I mean, these guys teethed on the side of the boat, the fishing boat, their dad's fish, they, that they knew this lake. They had crossed it back and forth myriads of times. They grew up fishing. They'd been through all kinds of storms. They knew, they understood the, this, this lake. However, uh, the storm comes up, and it's a storm like they had never seen before. You got, you got the picture, right? These, these rugged fishermen guys, it's all they can do to hang on. This is a great storm. This isn't like a nice drizzle. This is, suddenly this thing comes in, it's pitch dark, this, the boat is being thrown all over, the, the wind, the wave, it's, it's horrific, it's being swamped, they're getting soaked. I think the greatest miracle of this whole thing, though, is that during this time, Jesus decides it's a good time to take a nap. And you know what's amazing is the boat does not have a cabin. I mean, it's a small fishing boat, and it lets us know that he went, Mark lets us know he goes to the back. There's a cushion. He just lays down on this cushion and takes The rain's falling right on him. The boat's being tossed and thrown all around. Everyone else is hanging on. Somehow Jesus is able to, to hang in there. And, and you, you need to, to know what, what is going on with this. Be, because this storm was orchestrated by Jesus. He planned it. And this, he didn't take a nap serendipitously here. You know how many times scripture lets us know Jesus took a nap? One, right here. I mean, this is a parable. This is a living parable. He's got something that he's trying to teach his disciples. I think he's got something he's trying to teach us. And, and that is that his disciples here, that their, their faith was not as strong as they thought it was. Now, he wants it to be stronger, just like he wants ours to be stronger, but he's got to help them realize that their faith is weaker in order for it to get stronger. And so he, 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 he is sleeping. Now there's going to be a huge storm that's going to come at these guys in just a few months. And they need, they need to realize, they've got to realize, that the storm doesn't catch Jesus off guard. Now think for a minute. Why are these guys following Jesus in the first place? Why did they leave their home, and why are they taking abuse in their culture, and why did they uh, leave their businesses and their security? Well, it's because they believe that Jesus really is the Messiah. He's the one that's been prophesied in Scripture. He's the one who's going to set up his kingdom. They watched him do miracles. He said that that's who he is, and that's what he was going to do. He was going to set up his kingdom, and so that's why they're following him. But all of a sudden, the storm comes up. And they're thinking, oh, no, Jesus didn't take into account a storm. The storm has the power now to derail all of his promises. He was going to set up his kingdom, but now we're all doomed. We're all going to die. I guess it's not going to happen. These folk were thinking that these things that happen in our life is going to derail his plan. He wasn't thinking about this. He's wringing his hands. It's going to mess everything up. And, and Jesus is going to let them know, no, 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 no. Every inch, it's kind of like what the centurion was thinking. Every inch of this universe, even storms, I control. I'm in control. It's good. Who do you think? Don't you think I'm going to fulfill my word? And so they earn a rebuke from the Lord. Well, they wake him, first of all, saying, Lord, save us. Uh, we're perishing. Mark lets us know they, they add to that. Don't you care that we're perishing? Save us. We just want to let you know, Lord, when you wake up from your nap, we're all going to be gone. We will drown. Just thought you'd want to know. And he said to them, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? See, where, where are you, why are you afraid? He where, said, Where fear is, great faith is not, because... Fear and great faith. Those are those are those are opposites. So why are you afraid, oh you of little faith? Little faith is not so much, you know, a size as much as it is, it's it's not a quantity, it's more quality. Their faith is anemic, their faith is impoverished, their faith, they're on the road, they're going, but they just don't have all of what they need yet. And then on one level, we gotta cut them some slack, right? Because they're between Old Testament and New Testament, they got a lot of stuff going on. They are at least out in the boat with them. And so got to cut them a little bit of slack. And yet, and yet, Jesus rebukes them as if they needed, they could have, they should have had the faith of that centurion, but they don't, they don't have it. You know, there's something in my heart. wants to empathize with these guys. Because I've, I've been, as I'm sure you've been, blindsided by storms. You know, I mean, you're going through life. It looks like it's a clear day. It's just a normal day. You're moving through it. Life is great. It's fine. Um, your mind is occupied with maybe a thousand lesser things, maybe nothing at all. When all of a sudden, bam, the storm comes and you respond in a way that maybe is not. I respond in a way that maybe is not reflective of great faith. Now, anybody, anybody can have great faith, right? And when it's sunshiny, when I've got lots of affluence and my health is fine, and all my people and all my relationships are good, right? That's not good faith. Anybody can have faith there. Faith is really manifested in the storms. That's what's going to show what kind of faith we have. And these folk they've got little faith, Jesus said. Little faith. So what's the result of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. See, we went from great storm to great calm. It wasn't... It wasn't that. It was... Immediately. And it wasn't like, well, they had little faith, right? So there should only be a little bit of, of a miracle. So it didn't go from great storm to great calm, just great storm to more of a moderate storm. And just the waves went down a little bit, the wind, the wind slowed down a little bit, but that's it. No, no, look at, you see the results here. They're the exact same results. This weak faith gives you the exact same results as the strong faith. You see this? Because it's not an issue of the size of my faith or the greatness of my faith. The issue is the greatness of the one my faith is. Is in. Go to case study number three, chapter nine, verse 20. Jesus is, is walking uh, with his disciples through the street, and all these miracles and stuff are, are, are making a name for him, and he's getting a level of popularity. People are pressing around him. Um, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. Now, let's just stop for a minute and kind of get in this woman's skin if we can. Her cycle had been going on for 12 years. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of discomfort. It's a lot of angst going on in your, in your body. Have you ever been in chronic pain? I mean, I just headache. I know it's going to get, this is no ibuprofen going on right now. Right. And so it's not like, well, my headache's going to go away in a little bit. No, this was chronic pain. This pain is not leaving. This is, this is when you're in chronic pain. Do you see like skies of blue and red roses too? And think to yourself, it's a beautiful world. No, you don't. You there's a pain is like a veil, right? Everything you see is, is, is not good. Pain does that to us. And this gal had it for 12 years on top of that. Socially, she would have been struggling, not just physically, because according to Jewish law, she was unclean. That's not necessarily a hygiene issue as much as it was ceremonially, which means nobody could get near her. No, it was illegal, actually, for her to be out in the crowd. She shouldn't have been doing this right here, right? But, but no one could be near her. They, they loathed her because if they touched her, they would be unclean as well. At the very best, people could love her maybe from a distance, but that's as far as it went. So this gal had zero community. Zero people putting their arm around her shoulder saying, listen, I'm praying for you, I'm with you, I wanna help you. No, it wasn't there. So she was was empty. She's going through this by herself, alone, as well as everything else. On top of that, financially, she was struggling because the parallel passage lets us know that she went to... uh, UW Madison Medical Clinic, they couldn't help her. No insurance, though, cost a lot of money. Then she went to Mayo, Uh, they couldn't help her either. Cost a lot of money, no insurance. Then she went to Cleveland Clinic, they couldn't help her. Cost a lot of money. And so when it was all said and done, she was broke. The medical establishment, instead of helping her, I'm guessing they tried, but instead they drove her into deep poverty on top of everything else also throw spiritually in there because Jewish law she couldn't go to she couldn't go to the temple now you might think well okay she can't go to church it's not a big deal but church is not the same <clears throat> excuse me it's not the same thing as the temple in the new testament synagogue maybe is the same thing as church in the new testament temple a whole different world the temple is where you could bring your sacrifices. The temple was the only place you could find um, forgiveness of sins. It's for, the temple was, the, was where you connected with God, where you truly worshipped God, where you could, could experience the blessings of the covenant because of your worship to, to Yahweh, the temple. And she couldn't go. She might as well not be Jewish. She's on the outside looking in, maybe thinking that God has forsaken her. Well, you think of all of these things, the um, the the physical and the f- financial, the worry that gives you, and the social and the spiritual. You wonder emotionally, what does that do to you? This gal was in all kinds of hurt here, but she's got an idea. In verse 21, she says to herself, if only I touch his garment, then I will be made well. And you ask, where does she get this idea? Because this is not a biblical idea. This is something that's, Kind of superstitious thing. It's a little bit magic. This this mindset would would lead the medieval church to worshiping relics. If I can just get close to one of these things and kind of touch it in some way, then there's going to be some kind of aura. It's, it's magic. It's going to move over to me. It's the same thing in Acts five when they thought that the shadow of Peter would would help them to be better, help them to be healed. Her her faith is impure. She's not. She's got some of her theology crooked here. She doesn't, she doesn't have it nailed. But she does know this. She knows she's got an incredible need. She knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He's got the ability to, to take care of it. And she goes to him. You know, it's, it's, it's good. I, I take, the more I'm here in, in the book, um, Sometimes I realize the less I know, things that I thought I knew, maybe, maybe I don't know so well. And I'm just so grateful that, that when we get to heaven, I don't have to take a Bible competency exam before we get in to, to, to be whether or not I get in there or, or your Bible competency exam. We're, gonna, we're all going to take it. And, and how you do is going to determine how, where we put you in heaven, what side of the tracks you end up being on in heaven. There's nothing like that, right? I, I say to say this, listen, I am for orthodoxy. We want pure doctrine. I want to be pure. We want pure doctrine. Uh, no question about it. But we just got to keep in mind that if he listens to, to me based on my pureness of my doctrine, you just need to know either John MacArthur or Tim Keller are going to be in trouble because those are both godly guys, right? But they have some opposites and some doctrinal issues. So somebody's wrong. Maybe they're both wrong. And so we need a level of faith, certainly a degree of faith. But sometimes if you get thinking, you know what? I just don't know that much about the Bible and I wish I did. And I don't understand so much. And maybe I'm just not qualified to go talk to him. And maybe he's going to give those things to like PhD type people who really understand, but not me. That's if you know enough faith, you have enough faith to go to him then you have enough faith for him to listen to you in the first place. You've got 100%. It's not about the quality of my faith. It's about the quality of the one my faith is in. Case study number four. Verse 27, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Now, these blind men truly understood the identity of Jesus because they, they called him with a term that's Old Testament messianic term, the son of David. It, they knew this was the Messiah. And then when Jesus asked them on top of it, but are you sure I can do this? Yes, we are sure you can do this. They had, they had their faith. They knew, Right. And it's interesting, what does Jesus do in verse 29? Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And now they're according to your faith, be it done to you. What does that mean? It doesn't mean, according to the quality of your faith, I will work this miracle. In other words, if you got pure, 100% pure faith, you know what, you get 100% pure miracle. But you know, if your faith is a little tainted, eh, maybe I'll just heal one eye. Or maybe you're gonna get like 2060 vision. You're still gonna have some issues here. Maybe you're still gonna need glasses. You know, that's, what it, what it means is according to the fact that you have any faith at all, according to the fact that your faith is in me that I can do this, I'm going to heal you. And so they're, they're, completely restored their eyesight but look what happens next you think they would be saying i am so thankful that he healed me i'm gonna obey him 100 and walk so close to him you would think that wouldn't you think that jesus sternly warned them now now the, the scripture does not have any throwaway words so when it says sternly warned he was in their face see that no one knows about it if, if the crowds heard too much about this kind of thing, they were already frenzied. If they heard too much, perhaps they would seek to make him king too soon. The Sanhedrin would, would uh, seek to his death too soon. And that's going to be there, but it's just not time yet. So he warns them, don't tell anyone about this. But what does it say? What does it say? But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Do you think that Jesus knew they were going to be disobedient? Now, they weren't maliciously disobedient. They weren't trying to hurt him, but clearly they weren't doing what he said, do, or they were doing what he said, don't do. It was straight up. And don't you think he could have said, well, listen, because I know you. I know you want healing and all, but I know your heart, and I know you're not going to obey me. And so, you know what? I'm sorry, I just can't do it for you. You, you think, okay, well, I can see that. But, but, but he doesn't. He heals these guys. Now, how often do you say this? Do I say this? Do I pray and say, you know what? I have failed here, and I have failed here, and here. And if I was Jesus, I wouldn't listen to me either. I so much don't deserve him to listen to my prayers. I mean, why would he? I wouldn't. Why should he? And you hear when we say that, what we're really saying What we're saying is, I can get to a place where he does need to work. If I can get my life in order, then you know what? God owes me. I can live in such a way to manipulate God to do what I need him to do. You know, we can never get there, right? We can never, ever, ever get there. We we can't use good works. Just, when, when we pray... We pray in Jesus' name, right? Not in Mark's name. Not in your name. I'm bringing these requests to you, Lord, because I'm so good and have nailed it. Hopefully you don't go there. No, I'm bringing these requests for you. That's what we mean when we say in Jesus' name. Because his righteousness has been imputed to me, and he took away my sin. I'm praying in his name, not my own. So look at the results of this one, where he heals them completely. Because it's not an issue with the strength of their faith or the bigness of their faith or the greatness of their faith or the purity of our faith. But the issue is the greatness and the bigness and the purity of the one our faith is in. We don't have faith in faith. Don't have faith in faith, right? We have faith in him. You know, D.A. Carson, D.A. D. A. Carson gives, an. I think there's a, a fantastic illustration of this he says uh, it's the night of the very first Passover the Jewish folk had been watching they'd seen the the, the plagues that hit Egypt and uh, Mr. Jones and Mr. Smith two great Jewish names right these guys are talking to each other over the fence in the backyard and uh, Mr. Jones confesses deep worries over the coming night he says of course I'm concerned shouldn't I be God has sent waves of plagues, frogs, flies, darkness, water turning to blood. But this latest announcement is frankly terrifying. The loss of the firstborn of every household in Egypt, the nation will be shattered. Mr. Smith replies, but haven't you done what Moses said and daubed the side posts and lentil with blood from the Paschal lamb? Jones, of course I have. I'm an Israelite just like you. But a blood stain or two seems like a strangely weak way to stop the ravages of the angel of death. I'm terrified for my son, and I don't know what else I can do to ensure his safety. Mr. Smith sighs. You've done all you need to do, all you can do. You know that I've got a son, too, and I'm perfectly confident that he's safe. God has promised through Moses that in households where the blood is applied is stipulated, the firstborn male will be safe. Don't you think God will keep his word? Where's your faith? Mr. Jones replies, please don't give me moralizing sermons about faith. I'm scared and that's all there is to it. I've sprinkled the blood around just as God said, but I'm frightened for my son and I wish I could do something more to guarantee his safety. That night, the angel of death passed through the land In most houses there was loud weeping and wailing as the firstborn males died in huge numbers throughout the land. Now the question is this, which man, Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones, lost his firstborn son? And the answer, of course, is neither. Mr. Smith had great faith, Mr. Jones weak faith, but both had shown enough faith dab the blood on the doorposts and lentil. Beyond that, the outcome depended utterly on the reliability of the promises of God. Carson's gonna go on and say this. This is great, listen. We do not wrench blessings from Jesus by somehow increasing the intensity of our faith. Granted, if we have any genuine faith at all, and that's a good granted, what is far more important is the faithfulness of Jesus. And ironically, when we focus on that, we find our own faith strengthened as we come more greatly to appreciate the one on whom our faith rests. You know, ever since I was a little boy, there's three things I pray for myself all the time. Uh, One of them is I want to be a man of great faith. I do. I don't want to have weak faith. I want my children and folk to see faith in me and recognize that there is a God. I want to be able to respond correctly. Don't we want? We want that. We need to do what we need to do in order to position ourselves that way and to grow in our faith, of course. But when storms come up and when life hits us and when the pain throws that veil up, when somehow our faith is not as strong as we would like it to be, we just need to take comfort in the fact that it's not about my faith, but it's about the one my faith is in, right? All right. Would you pray with me? Lord, I am so grateful that your word says that you know our frame. You know that we are dust. You know what we're made out of. You know our limitations. You know our failings. You knew about them before you called our name, Lord, and you did it anyway. And you love us so much that your grace is so much bigger than our limitations and our sin. We rest in the blood of Christ. We know who you are. the best we can know it, I guess, Lord. We know that you, Jesus, are the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You came for us. You died for us. You rose for us. You're coming back for us. And so we, we come and bring our needs to you, no, you knowing that we don't demand that you do anything. You're, you're the Lord. We know you can, though. And so we pray, oh, God, as we go into this week, as we go into the rest of this year, that you would help every one of us to, to focus on, on what we're doing, what we're listening to, what we're seeing. You would help us to live our lives in such a way that our faith would be built. It would be strengthened that we might reflect you to this world and in those times and places, Lord, when we fail, would you remind us that it's not about our faith, but about the one our faith is in, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen.